Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. While many understand that this country is headed over a financial cliff, they don't understand the fundamental reasons why this is so and what must be done to turn it around. The answers are not so obvious, but the questions might be staring us right in the face. Why do we have recessions and depressions? Why does our money always seem to buy less and less? Why is unemployment so rampant? Our guest today... Dr. Mark Thornton is an author, a senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute, and an expert on Austrian economics. He's here to share with us how the fundamental principles of liberty and financial prosperity go hand in hand. Welcome to the show, Dr. Thornton. Teresa, thank you very much. It's great to be on Living Wealthy Radio Show. Oh, well, thank you. So tell us in a nutshell, what is Austrian economics? Well, we like to think of Austrian economics as a realistic view of economics. The Austrian economists in the late 19th century, they really invented supply and demand and marginal utility, all the basic concepts of economics. And so we take a very realistic view. We use logic and deduction. And, of course, we just don't make things up. It has to hold up to the real world. And we don't try to apply things outside of human action, like physics, math, and statistics, uh, to economics. We keep it on that realistic level. And just to give you one example, the entrepreneur. We think the entrepreneur is very important. We use it in everything we do, basically. How does the entrepreneur react to this policy or this environment and so forth? Whereas if you look at a mainstream textbook, you'll find typically one paragraph about the entrepreneur, and it will say the entrepreneur gets to keep all of the profits. And in a graduate textbook, the entrepreneur will never be mentioned. And so that really gives you a taste of how far mainstream economics has drifted away from realism. Just for a review, uh, can you mention and quickly discuss and summarize the other competing views today? Well, that's a, very, that's a very good point. Um, the Austrians were in a minority. The Keynesians and other mainstream schools of thought are in the vast majority. They control all the graduate programs. They control the Federal Reserve and the um, European Central Bank. As a matter of fact, Ben Bernanke and Mario Draghi were office mates in graduate school at MIT. So they have a completely different mindset in terms of how to do economics and how to do economic policies. So while the Austrians were complaining about all of the government debt and all of the uh, printing of money and ultra-low interest rates, the Keynesians and mainstream economists, they think that that's the solution to the problem, whereas we think it's the problem itself. And so they, you know, their idea of how to address the economic crisis right now is to reduce interest rates, to flood the money with markets, uh, excuse me, flood the markets with money, and for government to go into more debt. So we have a completely opposite sort of view 
of the economy as well as economic policies in terms of how to deal with the economy. So if you speak to a Keynesian economist, uh, they seem to have very rational reasons why their policy makes sense, right? And I interview economists and demographers all the time, and everyone, um, well, most, I'm generalizing, but most most of them, very brilliant, very smart, and they, they have very good arguments for their positions. And so... The Keynesians, the policies today, right, in our economy, in the American economy, is based on the Keynesian model of economics, correct? That's correct. Okay. So today we're experiencing, um, well, some would say there's a lot of news about the economy um, that is negative. Um, How would an Austrian model shift where we are today? Well, the big problem we have today is the amount of money that they're printing, uh, the ultra-low interest rates, and the big budget deficits and the the size of the government budget. And their solution, uh, take, for example, Paul Krugman, he would recommend that the government spend an extra trillion dollars throwing that money into the economy as if to stimulate it. Now, Austrians take a look at that, and they see two major negatives as a result of that. One is you're taking productive resources from the private economy, putting them through government, and creating products, goods, and services in the public sector that don't have to pass the market test, that don't have to pass the test of efficiency. And so typically what government does doesn't dollar for dollar enhance uh, human prosperity. Uh, it's less than a dollar, and some of what government does ha- has a negative eff- effect on human prosperity. But also, that's just one big negative. The other big negative is that that uh, trillion dollars, that has to be financed somehow. So it's got to come out of somebody's pocket. It's either got to go uh, from taxpayers right now or taxpayers in the future. And one of the things that's keeping the economy back right now is the enormous uncertainty about the future of our economy and what future generations of Americans are going to bear the cost of. And so the government has created uh, tax uncertainty, debt uncertainty, certainly regulatory uncertainty with things like Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, financial reform. Uh, So there's an enormous regulatory uncertainty as well. And so that's the type of thing that needs to be cleaned up. You know, I like to keep things really simple for myself, if nothing else, right? And just comparing our economy to, let's say, um, the, the budget of a household, of a family, and basically in simple terms, what you're saying is uh, a family, um, if you're comparing it to what we've got with the government, is completely in debt. They've got millions of dollars in debt. And if they don't pay it off while they're living, their children and their grandchildren are going to inherit that debt. And it really limits what that family can do. And actually, that's that family being successful financially, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, of course, you'd never tell a family who's, you know, got millions in debt to go out and borrow more money, right, to get them out of the mess they're in. Absolutely. Um, Of course, the American family is not in great shape either. Uh, The American family has uh, 
has a lot of loans themselves. I think it's like $139,000 per household of debt, and that includes mortgage debt, credit card debt, student loan debt, automobile debt. And so we're not doing all that well either. But, of course, the main driver, which nobody sees here, is the Federal Reserve and its ultra-low interest rates. Uh, the ultra-low interest rates means that the federal government can borrow money on a short-term basis at 0.17 of 1%. So why balance the budget? Why pay off the debt from their perspective if they're getting the Fed to monetize the national debt? And then the impact of the Fed on the American family is, well, with these ultra-low interest rates, my savings account earns me 00 one of one percent so basically zero so what incentive do americans have to save uh and they have a tremendous incentive to go into debt so the fed is the um, is the real big problem here uh because it's monetizing the national debt and it's leading consumers and households uh to take on ever more debt and i think that's an enormous problem if you go back to my childhood uh, days in the 1960s, families saved money. Uh, they didn't go into debt. Uh, typically, mortgages were uh, paid off. Uh, people didn't even borrow money to buy automobiles, and the automobile loans of that era aged uh, were only for, on average, one and a half years. Today's market. Uh, the uh, automobile loans are going out to seven years. So this enormous uh, debtful society that we have, both in the public and private sector, we have to lay that problem um, at the feet of the Federal Reserve and uh, the people who run that, the Keynesian economists who run that. And really, it's a worldwide phenomenon because the Keynesians are in charge at the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of China. Uh, so this is a very common problem, and it's why we feel like uh, we're, we're pushing the economy over the financial cliff because of all these insane ideas. So if more debt is not the answer, what exactly is the answer? And if you could keep it really simple, especially from the perspective, let's say, of a household, which most of us can relate to our own budgets, right, in our own household, if getting into more debt is not the answer, how do we pay down that enormous amount of debt without printing more money, let's say? Well, it's a very good question. Austrians have always had the same policy recommendations, the same types of policy prescriptions that enabled uh, the United States to become the world economic superhouse, uh, which is stop going into more debt, for one thing, balance the budget uh, at a minimum, certainly stop the printing presses at the Federal Reserve, uh, and allow interest rates to rise so that people have an incentive to save money. And, of course, when the households get into debt, uh, what they have to do to pay it off is to run a surplus and in order to pay down that debt. And so we see that on a regular basis where households find themselves with too much debt and they basically cut back their expenditures and try to uh, increase their revenues and look for efficiencies um, internally where in the household, um, you know, people can do uh, some of the things that they go out in the marketplace to buy. And so 
typically a household would, you know, start uh, washing their own cars, fixing their own cars, cleaning their own houses, uh, painting up things that need to be painted so that they're creating, in effect, more revenues. Uh, with the government, not only do they have to balance the budget, but, of course, the size of the government is way too big uh, right now. Taxes are too much of a burden as they are, and so we'd like to see uh, taxes cut, especially taxes on productivity, taxes on wealth, taxes on capital accumulation um, and savings. And also there's a tremendous regulatory burden, and that burden has gotten enormously larger uh, since the financial crisis. With Obamacare and with the Dodd-Frank uh, financial regulations, uh, which have basically made it very difficult uh, for your local hometown bank to be bankers. Uh, the bankers uh, are being held personally responsible for the loans they've made until they're paid off. And uh, that puts an enormous burden on the individual banker and makes it much more difficult to develop banking relationships so that bankers learn a sense of who's dependable and who's undependable uh, the federal government has come down and gotten into that level of uh, complication in business. And when bankers can't lend, businesses can't grow, and, and households have a very difficult time. Right now, the mortgage market and the housing market are being held hostage due to the fact that so many people can't qualify and can't complete the paperwork in order to get a mortgage right now. And I've seen firsthand uh, evidence of that uh, in uh, in our local mortgage market here in Auburn. And uh, so we have to pull the federal government back out of our economy, and we have to return to the, the normal policies that you would think would be smart things to do, like balancing the budget, keeping taxes low. Uh, but that's not the case right now. Uh, the government has been running, on average, almost a trillion dollars of deficits, which have added to the debt. And so we're $19 trillion uh, in debt at the federal level. Uh, that's direct indebtedness. And so there's a lot of uh, not easy policies to implement, but they are straightforward policies of returning to the normal policies that existed before uh, Keynesian economics worked its way through academia and into uh, government. Doesn't the U.S. government, or at least Congress, have a balanced budget law today? Well, they've passed many, many attempts uh, to legislate uh, a balanced budget. We've only had one uh, balanced budget, uh, I think, over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, that was in 1999, and uh, the uh, politicians called it a, mi a mistake. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, it, it can't be just legislation. Uh, the, the Congress is going to have deficits as long as they can get away with it, as long as the interest rate is being held down by the Federal Reserve. As I mentioned earlier, they can borrow on a short-term basis at 017 of 1%. And so we have to reform the Fed. Uh, we have to reform the Congress. And we also need the people 
to understand the Austrian economic perspective and demand that their representatives follow through. And I think, you know, there is some evidence that Americans are learning mm -hmm. Austrian economics and are learning the Austrian perspective. That's why we have outsiders uh, doing so well in the primaries. And I would mention Donald Trump and Ben Carson as prime examples. Uh, Ted Cruz tries to sell himself as a representative of the Tea Party. And then, of course, on the other side, you've got Bernie Sanders, who is sort of an outsider. Um, and so Americans are moving in the direction of looking for an alternative, uh, and they're not quite getting what they want, but they're still pushing against the establishment, against uh, the status quo in Washington, D.C., and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good sign that uh, Americans are waking up and that Americans are making the decision to turn away from the establishment that has put them in $19 trillion of debt at the federal level and has really rotted out the foundation of the American economy. They've put families, they've put individuals, they've put uh, workers and savers in very difficult positions, and they put them at risk um, going forward. I totally agree with everything you've just said. I, I believe there is a, a huge movement among um, Americans that are looking for something that's anti-establishment. If you're establishment, they want you out because they, they recognize things are not working and they're being hit on a very, very personal level, right? If it's just the government or if it's just D.C., it's too far away. But when it hits the families or it hits, you know, they see their friends um, and their loved ones suffering economically and seeing the climate, the economic climate that we're in that makes it very, very difficult to prosper, um, and, and they elect officials going to Congress who say they're going to change things. And immediately, as soon as they're in, it's like they they, these congressmen get into a vortex, right? And they shift immediately from what they were saying and do something completely different. So do you yeah. think there's this, um, this, this huge, hugely powerful lobbying group or, um, financial, um, uh, power that influences the Congress and the president? Oh, yeah, there's no question um, that big corporate America is in control of our government. Um, the banking industry, the hedge fund industry, Wall Street, pharmaceuticals, oil companies, everybody is donating huge amounts of money to incumbent politicians and through lobbyists and so forth, to influence government. And, of course, the big corporations, they want more monopoly power, more market power. And so they, in effect, get to write a lot of the legislation uh, that advantages these big corporations, unions, and so forth, uh, to the disadvantage of just the common person uh, in America who's trying to work and save and put kids through college and and they're seeing that they're cre creating problems everywhere they go so that somebody who's qualified for loans and qualified for mortgages, all of a sudden they go to their bank to get a new mortgage or something like that, and all of a sudden the paperwork is 10 times as long and they might not qualify. Or they go for a medical appointment and find out because of Obamacare 
the, the waiting line, instead of being 45 minutes, is now two hours and a half. Um, or they find that their health insurance is going up at 30, 40 percent mm-hmm. per year mm-hmm. that, they, that they have to pay. And uh, so the, the burden of Washington is becoming clearer and clearer at the same time that the corporations have gained almost complete control over our government. Uh, and so we're in a vortex right now where some politicians are trying to sound at least very anti-establishment, but they're still pretty much in the grips uh, of this uh, corporatocracy, mm-hmm. as I call it. Mm-hmm. And I call it corporatism. Uh, Same thing, corporatism, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, But the, as I mentioned before, the great thing is that Americans have woken up. They don't see clearly yet. They're in that phase where you wake up, you know something's going on, but you can't quite see it um, as clear as you'd like to. But they're looking, Teresa. They're looking, uh, and more and more people are are coming to Mises.org to be educated about economics and and current events. They're turning to alternative media, such as your show, Mm in record, record numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is very, very exciting to see it for me, to see it here from the inside. And, uh, and it's happening every day, really. More and more people are signing up. They're coming to our events. Uh, they're coming to Mises.org and getting free subscriptions of stuff. Uh, and so it's as bad as things are. Um, ultimately, this great awakening is uh, is taking place, and I'm very excited about it, and very optimistic, by the way. Well, it is exciting because, I mean, I've worked with money for over 30 years now, and the shift that I've seen in people being open to other ideas, because they're in pain, um, or they recognize that, You know, the future is not as bright as the past, right? It used to be that every generation was so excited for their children and their grandchildren because they knew their lives would be easier and better. And we don't have that anymore, right? We, you know, those of us that have children aren't looking at the future of our children and thinking, gosh, it's so bright. You know, you've got an amazing future. We're actually very, very concerned for the future, because if things continue down this road, um, I, I mean, just look at the debt that these kids are graduating from college with. It's immoral. It's absolutely immoral. And I think that's part of Bernie Sanders' attraction to the young people is yeah. that they they don't have the, I believe, the wisdom of experience to know that you can't give everything away for free because it's coming from someone. Someone's got to pay that, right? <laughs> but how attractive yeah. is it when you're graduating from school and you've got uh, you know tens of thousands of dollars in student loans and someone's saying, that's not right, that's not fair, I've got a solution. Yes, I know it's it's a it's a very difficult place because the people who are going to Bernie Sanders um, are ignorant of economics. They don't understand the basic foundations of reality, uh, the idea that everything can be given away to everybody is is just insane economically, and so there still is huge chunks of the American population, including the majority of people who have not yet woken up, uh, have not yet begun to see. But I think that from my standpoint, 
when I started in all this, nobody was paying attention mm. uh, at all. Nobody really had a, a good foundation in economics, other unless you were a private sector entre, small entrepreneur who uh, felt the mm-hmm. hand of the federal mm-hmm. government and the regulatory state and the taxes mm-hmm. and minimum wages and all that. The those private sector entrepreneurs, they were the only ones who understood it, and now. Uh, particularly young people um, have become much, much more aware. And I think a lot of the leaders of the next generation uh, in particular have been inspired by Austrian economics. And uh, they talk about about it amongst their friends. Uh, Little clubs and organizations Mm -hmm. get organized along the lines Mm -hmm. of Austrian economics, Mm -hmm. tea parties, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of that. So that didn't happen until... After the financial crisis, we were still a very small uh, organization with a very small reach into uh, the American population, uh, into American academia. Uh, That's all started to change now, and the influence of the Mises Institute is now worldwide. There are, uh, of course, we're active around the globe with Mises.org, but uh, 20 other Mises Institutes have at least uh, are on paper out there in places like Canada, Brazil, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Japan, and so forth. So the depth and the reach of Austrian economics is is significant, and it's growing, and we have a, a much bigger presence in academia, whereas, you know, when I got started in this thing 30 years ago, there were only about 12 Austrian economists total worldwide. And... Um, now there are hundreds in the United States. They're in just about every country um, around the world. And so I think we, um, we are growing. We're getting more significant. And uh, as Gandhi said, um, first, the, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the control of society will ignore you, and then they will laugh at you, and then they will fight you, and then we have won. And I think we're at the point right now where they've gone through the phase of ignoring us. They've gone through the phase of laughing at us. And now they're at the point where they're going to have to deal with us. And, uh, and so that's, that's why I'm so optimistic. I realize there's these enormous long-term structural problems in the world economy. But, and frankly, I think it's going to take a significant economic crisis to do things like uh, deal with Social Security, return to a gold standard, all of those problems are very difficult, and they're unlikely to be solved by the political class um, without some kind of economic crisis that gets the entire American population awake and uh, and looking at the problem and seeing that Washington, D.C. is the problem and Austrian economics is the solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, amen to everything you said. Absolutely. And and I think it's going to be painful, but there's got to be some kind of purging in order to shift to a different um, a, a different model. Right. And um, there's that there's the I think the groundswell conversation 
and distrust of establishment that we're seeing in this election cycle, which is making it absolutely fascinating. It's like a soap opera every day. It's a different story. And you could not make this up, right? And at the heart of all of it, it goes back to the economy and the opportunities for Americans because their wallets are really being hit hard. And they're saying, I mean, people are really, really struggling financially. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, and I, I gave a talk at the local Kiwanis Club last week, and I brought up a couple of things that I thought were important to bring up. And one is the the idea that an economy would have negative interest rates. And the other idea was the uh, emerging movement for a cashless society. The former Secretary of the Treasurer, uh, Larry Summers, um, had noted that, that he thought that we should eliminate the $100 bill because of crime mm-hmm. and the black market. Mm-hmm. But it's all its all an establishment model mm-hmm. to go to a cashless society so all your money has to be in a bank someplace and then implement negative interest rates so the government gets a cut on everybody's savings. And there's no way to pull the money out of the bank. So you're stuck with being stolen from on a daily, daily basis. And, you know, this group of 80 people at the Qantas Club they're business people, they're entrepreneurs, they're doctors and lawyers and so forth. They don't have time to follow all this nonsense. And they were stunned. They, they were absolutely stunned. Uh, they were thankful to be informed about it, though. Um, and they obviously realized uh, what a negative effect that would have on them, their families, the local economy, their suppliers, and so forth and so on. But... Uh, that's how irrational, illogical, and, uh, you know, it's basically theft, uh, the idea to uh, go to a cashless society and then apply negative interest rates to them. Uh, it's, it's just crazy, and I can't imagine, you know, what negative effect that's going to have on uh, entrepreneurism, competition. It's going to lead to an exploding black market, of course. And it's going to hurt, enormously hurt, um, poor people, low-income people who don't even have a bank account. Mm-hmm. So what are they supposed to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in that scenario? Um, well, I think people need to be, um, well, certainly education, right? And Mises. Um, does an exceptional job, especially with the Foundation for Economic Education. I've always said you can get a PhD in economics, right, um, just by going to fee.org, F-E-E.org, right? Um, amazing organization. But the other side of that yeah. is um, by being educated and being aware and alert, then it's much more difficult for the powers in the banking industry and Wall Street and the government to social engineer us to their objectives and where they want us to go, which is exactly, they want that cashless society because it's all about control at the end of the day and shifting wealth to them. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they've, they don't want to have any constraint on their ability to spend and to get involved in foreign wars and to keep the welfare class happy and, and well-fed and, and so forth. We've got virtually 
uh, almost a, a, a half of Americans depend on a government check uh, or some kind of welfare program. So they've just continued to expand all this. They've continued to expand their spending, their wars, um, the welfare system, and they don't want to have any check on that. So they, they're constantly driving for new sources of our money. Um, and if they get this cashless society and negative interest rates, there's no telling how low they would go um, in terms of going into negative territory and taking parts of our deposits um, on an ongoing basis. Um, and so this has to be stopped, and it has to be replaced with rational economic policy uh, where the government isn't influential, where society is running itself, essentially, uh, that does so many good things um, that are very difficult to measure. Mainstream economists always want to measure things, uh, but we know that a lot of things are not measurable, so that we think that it's very likely that, for example, this enormous size of government and government control and propaganda and so forth is responsible for contemporary art, let's say, which the average American looks at contemporary art and says, that's ridiculous. A blank cam canvas painted in white is selling for a million dollars? That's absurd. And so I, we think that if we went back to a society controlled by individuals rather than by government, you'd get more sanity in culture, um, and relationships between people, a lot of those other things that can't be quantified would also benefit uh, because we see the blooming of culture. For example, um, in Austria, during the rise of Austrian economics, uh, was the pinnacle of classical liberalism with limited government uh, and so forth. And you also had the development of classical music. Not everybody listens to classical music, but everybody recognizes it as a very fine, cultured form of music in comparison to some of the things that exist today. Interesting. Uh, well, can you share with us, Dr. Thornton, because um, we are here running out of time, can you share with us um, where our listeners can get more information on uh, Mises and the um, options that they have for learning more about Austrian economics through Mises.org. Yeah, Mises is spelled M-I-S-E-S. -E and we have a web page, the largest economic web page uh, in the world, Mises.org. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account, at Mises. And uh, I'd also like to mention that uh, we have just an enormous amount of material it's written for regular people. It's not, you know, written in academia uh, speak. And so it's very accessible, and we have everything under the sun uh, available about economics. So you can search for just about anything, and you'll find some great materials. It's an amazing website. Coming, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a conference coming up here in Auburn March 31st, the Austrian Economics Research Conference. So if you're already fully you know, aware of Austrian economics. It's a fun, great event. Uh, and I'd also like to mention that um, an, an organization called bestcolleges.org ranked the Mises Institute as the ninth most influential think tank in the United States. 
So they took a look at 2,000 think tanks in America, and they ranked them, and we came in ninth. And I'd further like to mention that as part of their ranking, they, they used the organization's budget as one of the main determinants of influence. So if you had a huge budget, that meant you were very influential. Well, the Mises Institute actually had the smallest budget in the top 50. Excellent. So we're very proud of that ranking. We think it speaks uh, volumes about uh, the impact that we're having, and we encourage everybody to come to Mises.org or our Facebook page. And it's we're open 24-7, 365, and there's no expense. There's no registration. You can just come and get it and eat all you want. And can you share with us for a moment your relationship or the relationship between Mises and the Foundation for Economic um, Education? Well, we're all independent from one another. Okay. Um, and we're, we are also independent from the other 20 uh, Mises uh, organizations around the world. Uh, of course, we know one another. We're very friendly, and our authors uh, from Mises.org will write material uh, for the Foundation for Economic Education or appear at their events. And so it's a friendly, uh, competitive relationship. Fee is the godfather of free market economics. It's been around for more than a half a century. The Institute, we've been, uh, we were founded by Llewellyn Rockwell in 1982, and we've been uh, here in Auburn, Alabama since 1983 across the street from Auburn University, mm -hmm. and uh, we're just trying to get along with one another and uh, wish each other the best, because we've got a bigger problem, and it's in Washington, D.C., and it's called the federal government, and in, and in particular, the Federal Reserve, that we all have to learn uh, to work against uh, in order that we can maintain and build a free, great society. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org, -E unbelievable amount of great information, and I agree. Um, you know, anybody who wants to learn uh, can relate to the information, can understand the information, because a lot of times, of course, you know, e economists speak in another language, right? And it really <laughs> is, uh, it's very difficult, I think, to make complex um, concepts simple, and you guys do an exceptional job at that. So throughout our country's history, we have seen how the free market can bring us unparalleled wealth and prosperity. On the other hand, history certainly demonstrates that repeated government interventions in the name of helping the economy have only hampered this progress until we restore sound economic principles, both in public policy and in our own financial dealings in life. We will continue downward. Restraining liberty restrains wealth, but freeing yourself from the cycle of debt and government dependence, we believe, is the path to prosperity. Dr. Thornton, so much appreciate your wisdom and your sharing today. Um, thank you for joining Living Wealthy Radio, and we will post uh, a copy of this audio recording on the Living Wealthy Radio website um, so the listeners can uh, download a copy of it. Again, thank, thank you, you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. 
download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.